Welcome to Aging Disgracefully, a weekly oddcast of seriously funny and sometimes raunchy monologues. I'm Carolyn Meyer, and I've got a story for you. Here is episode 17, In the Back Seat. I don't remember the make, model, or year of the car in which I lost my virginity, but I think it might have been a Mercury. But I do remember when, a few months after my 21st birthday, and I remember who, that would be Fred, and I certainly remember where, in the back seat of a car, was probably that Mercury. From the day I turned 16, which is also the day I apply for my learner's permit, the automobile plays a critical role in my life. We live outside the city limits, and my parents have arranged me to send me to the town high school rather than to the rural township school. My father drives me there every morning on his way to work. But now the morning drive turns into a driving lesson. There's no such thing as a driver's ed course in my high school. My dad will be my instructor. Not my mother, thank God, with her need to improve me and her lack of patience in doing just that. But I do want to have my driving lesson in my mother's grasshopper green 1950 Chevy Bel Air hardtop with automatic transmission. My father vetoes that idea. You don't know how to drive if you can't drive a standard shift, she says. Instead, I will have my lessons in his 1948 Ford sedan. Three on the tree. That's three forward gears with a gear shift located on the steering column. I can handle the gears and the clutch on a flat straightaway, but the route we take every morning along a windy country road crosses a railroad track at the bottom of a steep hill. I stop at the tracks, look for a train, which comes through only once a day, downshift to first, slowly drive across the track and start up the hill, upshifting to second. At the top of the hill, I stop at the busy country road, wait for a break in the traffic, clutch in, shift them to first, let the clutch out, foot on the gas, stall. The Ford rolls backward down the hill toward the railroad tracks. Break, says my father calmly. Then less calmly, break, Carolyn, break. We stop on the tracks. Fortunately, the once-a-day train isn't due for a few more hours. And I start the engine and try again and stall and then again. Maybe you should drive, I tell my dad. I'm going to be late. No, you won't, he says. Eventually, I do learn to synchronize clutch and gear, pass my driver's test, win my freedom, such as it is when you're a 16-year-old girl in the 1950s. A couple of years later, I leave for college, begin a new era of my life. Maintaining my virtue for the first three years isn't much of a challenge, but in my senior year, my senior year, I acquire a serious boyfriend, Fred. Students aren't permitted to have cars on campus, but Fred doesn't live on campus. He rents a room from some old lady in town. Fred has a car. And now, thinking back, I'm pretty sure 
it was a mercury, which is where my deflowering takes place. Sometime after my precious pearl is lost and before graduation, Fred asks me to marry him, and I say yes. But just before the summer wedding, Fred has a change of heart. I'm no longer a virgin, and now I'm not going to be a bride either. I shift gears, metaphorically, and head for New York City. I'm in Manhattan, living the life of an impoverished college grad with a 50 cents an hour job as a secretary and walking to work to save bus fare. And that's when I meet Jimmy. Jimmy is older, poet, graduate of the Sorbonne, a man who knows good wine and eats raw oysters and orders pate. He is also the owner of a classic Mark IV drop-head Jaguar. I'm glad my father made me learn how to drive a shift because the, for the next time I'm behind the wheel of a car, I'm tooling around Manhattan in Jimmy's Jag. <laughs> the Jag always needs a tune-up or a major repair, and so it turns out does Jimmy. A couple of years after Jimmy and his classic Jag are history, I meet Joe, who is from Czechoslovakia. I have a different 50 cents an hour secretarial job, and Joe drives a snappy little red Triumph. He says things like, I wish I could tell you in English what I think of you in Czech. And he lets me drive the red TR3, and we get married and have an apartment in Queens. For a while, I drive a Fiat with a wonky electrical system, but after we move to Connecticut and become suburbanites and have three kids, I end up with my dad's old Chevy station wagon. Marriage dies a few years later, and I acquire an elderly VW bus that coughs, wheezes, and eventually dies too. I have a new lover who drives a Plymouth Duster, and he convinces me to buy one like it to replace the dead VW bus. A few years later, my mother upgrades her image with a Lincoln Town car, and she signs over her old Buick to me. It's matronly, conservative, and I name the Buick Fat Sarah. I drive Fat Sarah across the country to a writer's colony in New Mexico. And when I plan to move to Santa Fe, I drive Fat Sarah across the country again, this time with my furniture, plus an upright piano in a U-Haul trailer. The piano is to be delivered to the ex-wife of a man who agreed to pay the rental on the U-Haul. It's, it's complicated, but I need the money. I haven't lived in Santa Fe for very long when some young fool runs at red light and T-bones Fat Sarah. I replace the total Buick with a second-hand Honda Civic. I buy aviator shades and convince myself that I look hip. At some point, I decide to upgrade my image and buy a BMW. But the Beamer always seems to be in need of some kind of expensive repair. It's almost as bad as that Mark IV drophead Jaguar. I trade it for a more reliable Acura, a vehicle almost as conservative and matronly as Fat Sarah. Meanwhile, Tony, 
my third and final husband, has decided that he needs a pickup truck. Now, why does a professor and poet need a truck? I have no idea. But apparently, it has something to do with his image. Interesting, isn't it, how an automobile becomes a projection of how we see ourselves or want others to see us? The Toyota Tacoma is hard riding and uncomfortable. I don't like riding in a pickup truck. I have no desire to drive one. Tony's Tacoma is never actually used as a truck, that is to transport goods, for example, except when a friend wants to borrow it. Then someone rear-ends the truck very gently at a stoplight, just a tad, just enough to leave a dimple in the bumper, a dimple the size of a quarter. He decides that the, that the bumper must be replaced, and he lugs the dimpled bumper down to the cellar of our house. It'll be worth money someday, he insists. By this time, I have been married often enough and long enough to recognize when some things are simply not worth arguing about. And he's right about that bumper. It is worth money. Then when we decide to downsize and move from the house with the seller to an apartment, it costs $25 to have that dimpled bumper hauled away. Eventually, my matronly Acura is rear-ended where I-40 and I-25 intersect, and I replace it with a slightly used Mini Cooper with just 5,000 miles on it. Albuquerque, New Mexico is number one in the nation for auto thefts. But I don't worry about my Mini being stolen because car thieves haven't a clue how to drive a manual shift which is what I request when I buy my pre-owned Mini. Six speeds and heated seats. I park in the garage in the lower level of my apartment building, and for a year or so, the car in the assigned space next to mine is a Lamborghini. Imagine, a Lamborghini! I have my Mini detailed so as not to appear unkempt and trashy. I love my Mini Cooper. It's gray with black and white racing stripes and the British Union Jack on the side view mirrors. Total strangers who see me in a grocery store parking lot are apt to say, that car is so you? I'm not quite sure why they say that. I'd like to think that a Jaguar or a Lamborghini is more me, forgetting for the moment that I'm really much more of an L.L. Bean than an Armani or Prada kind of girl. My Mini Cooper is a two-door, by the way, with a very small back seat. Extremely awkward to climb in and out of. Not my first choice for a long road trip. And it would definitely not be my first choice as a place for having sex. Backseat sex would be much more comfortable if I were still driving Fat Sarah. <laughs> but wouldn't my mother be turning in her grave shocked and appalled that her silver-haired daughter was even thinking of having sex in the back seat of her Buick. <laughs> you can watch a video of this odd cast on YouTube at Funny Carolyn, 
or read this and other stories on my blog at funnycarolyn.com and leave me a message. Tell me what you think. Come back next week for episode number 18, In the Nude for Love. Be sure to subscribe. I'm Carolyn Meyer, and I'm aging disgracefully. Thank you.